Welcome to Your Lot and Parcel Podcast with your host, Benjamin Diaz, designed strictly for you, the consumer. You will find that this platform has your best interests at heart. This is Benjamin. Thank you for tuning in today. In this episode, the Amish community is revealed from the inside. Obviously, the way of life is diametrically different from mainstream society. However, the principle of leading a more simpler and peaceful life lends itself to better health and strengthens the family life. My question to you then is, can we employ some of these principles to a degree? When we see mainstream society paying a hefty price, I think it is a valid question worthy of our consideration. My guest is the Chief Executive Officer of the Amish and Mennonite Heritage Center in Home County, Ohio. He speaks to this topic forthrightly and is very gracious to be spending time with us today. Let's invite him to our show, Marcus Yoder. You know, the, uh, the world is busy and complicated, and you know, when we eliminate or mitigate common stressors such as debt, um, eliminate uh, stress in the workplace and in other areas in life, it does tend to, it lends itself to better health and it does improve relationships. And And this is what I admire about the Amish community uh, because uh, they, they do uh, tend to lead a simple and quiet life. And I'm glad to have you on the show, Marcus. And before we get into our topic, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Marcus, and where you're located and the mission of your organization, if you would. Sure. Uh, yes, I'm Marcus Seoder. We're located in central Ohio near a little village called Berlin, Ohio, or Berlin as we call it locally. Uh, mm-hmm. Holmes County, where we're located at, is the home of the largest Amish community in the world. Mm-hmm. About 10% of the Amish in the, in the world live here in, Holmes, in the greater Holmes County community. Mm-hmm. It has since grown. So about, we estimate, between four, between forty-two and forty-four thousand Amish people live within thirty miles of here. Mm. Uh, we, I work at a place called the Amish and Mennonite Heritage Center. Uh, the center was established in 1991 when we were graced with a a painting. The painting is ten feet high, two hundred sixty-five mm-hmm. feet long, and it mm-hmm. depicts the history of our people, the Amish and Mennonite people, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we're located uh, in the country out here. And if you want, the best way to, to learn more about us is to go to Behalt. Uh, that's B-E-H-A-L-T, Behalt.com. Okay. Uh, Behalt is the name of the painting. It was painted by a oh. German artist. Okay. And it means uh, to stop, to take notice. Oh, all right. It's interesting. I, uh, and and uh, other than that, uh, website what, what is the website of your center so that my listenership can maybe uh log on sure. and take a look and and that is a website of the center behalt.com oh it is okay um, okay or you there's a variety of ways a simple google search for the amish and mennonite heritage center i should also get you there mm-hmm. uh yeah we see visitors <laughs> interestingly enough this this has become uh, a lot of people visit our community with the same questions that you have. 
we here at the center we see about we'll see about eighteen thousand visitors this year, and so far this year we've had people from sixty five countries in all fifty states. Oh my! Uh, so on any given day, we may hear people speaking uh, Farsi or German or something, but uh, we we do a lot of work also with our own community and do a lot of teaching with the Amish and Mennonite people, uh, their young people and so on. Well, that's wonderful. And so if uh, I were to come and visit, well, what, what am I to expect uh, there at the center? Uh, sure. It, well, at the top of each hour, we run what we call our mural tour, which is the, the painting uh, that I described uh, earlier. It's a half hour guided tour. <laughs> and uh, there, the painting is amazing. It has 1,200 plus figures that we are recognizable. Uh, it, it flows together. It's a beautiful piece of art, but it also depicts our history. So the first half hour, you'd be getting kind of a half hour guided course led by an Amish or Mennonite person uh, about our history and world and where we originate from. And then we also have a schoolhouse, an original Amish schoolhouse here on the grounds and a barn. And while we don't have animals in the barn, we do have buggies and, and uh, things that an Amish person would have in their barn. And so we, we kind of take a walk through those areas uh, for the second half hour. That's great. Um, and that's, uh, see, where, where are you located? You're, uh, you indicate that. Five, yeah. We're at 5798 County Road 77, Millersburg, Ohio. Now, mm -hmm. Millersburg uh, is the county seat. We're actually located near the village of Berlin. Mm -hmm. uh, but because we're in the country, we have a mailing address um, of, of Millersburg. But we're in the heart. Uh, I tell people we are nearly in the geographical center of the Amish community. That's great. Um, would you um, be so kind and, and share the, the history of the Amish with us, Marcus? Sure. Uh, the Amish come out of the come out of a group called the Anabaptists. The Anabaptists, not anti-Baptists, we're not against baptism, right. but in the in the Reformation, a group of people arose that suggested that infant baptism is not the correct course and that only adults should be baptized. So they were known as rebaptizers or Anabaptists. Mm -hmm. And the Amish uh, and, and that group, the Anabaptists, began in 1525 in Zurich, Switzerland and spread. Uh, but it is the it is the spiritual and cultural and religious um, heritage that the Amish, the Mennonites and the Hutterites belong to. Mm -hmm. Very good. And um, if I remember correctly, this I mean, goes way back to the 1500s, I believe. Yes, uh, 1525, yeah. 1525, yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, what, what are the, you indicated uh, the Amish and the and Mennonite. What, what are the differences between the Amish and the Mennonite and the, the Hutterite? Well, let me, let me begin with the group easiest to define, the Hutterites. The Hutterites, uh, in Europe, they were in the, in the Czech, what is now the Czech Republic. Oh, is where they had kind of settled and then into Russia. And then when they immigrated to Amer the Americas, they settled in the Prairie Provinces. They believed in 
communal ownership of land. Mm-hmm. So uh, a Hutterite community may own several thousand acres or 20,000 acres and farm it communally. The Amish and Mennonites believe in community, but they don't own things communally. Mm-hmm. Uh, the biggest difference between the Amish and Mennonites, the Amish, Mennonites, and Hutterites all are part of what we would call the historic peace churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've, we've not been involved in military or politics okay. in the past mm-hmm. in any measurable way. But uh, the, the biggest difference between the Amish and Mennonites, the Amish do not have church houses. The Mennonites have church houses, like many other groups in America or in the world do. Mm-hmm. And the, the second one is the ownership of automobiles. Mm-hmm. Mennonites drive, most Mennonites drive. There are still a few groups that are horse, what we would call horse and buggy men. So it's really mm-hmm. hard. The Amish and Mennonites are just like any other groups, Lutherans, Presbyterians. There's a wide spectrum of them, and, and there is no kind of one this is the true Amish. Yeah, well, that's uh, interesting to know. You know, the uh, the Amish population, would you say it's growing? Or what can you tell us on that? The, the population and, and, and what areas you indicated there, Ohio, any other areas that they've been settling in? Uh, yeah, they, when they first came to America, they settled in Pennsylvania. Okay. In Berks County and Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And they still... Uh, Lancaster County is the, well, we argue with them whether, which one of us is the largest, but we're really nearly the same size. We're just, yeah. some years we're higher in population counts than they are. Uh, but the Amish population is growing. The Amish are doubling mm. every 22 and a half years. Uh, mm. And it's a, a phenomena that most groups would wish for, but they are doubling every 22 and a half years. Mm-hmm. Uh, their retention rate of keeping young people in, in their churches, in, in most groups, averages around 70% of the young people remain in the church of their parents when they marry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- today there's Amish in, I think, 37 states, in five Canadian provinces, and in there's a small group in Argentina uh, now, the Argentinian group is a few families who've moved down from there and then a few families that were down there. So they are really growing. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, we think about the language. The Amish speak Pennsylvania Dutch, which is a dialect of German. But mm-hmm. this, this helps you think about the, the population numbers. Um, it is one of the four fastest growing languages per capita, uh, Yiddish, uh, and Pennsylvania Dutch are two of the four. And yeah. so, uh, yeah. it is a, it is a growing population. How about that? I can see that, uh, since it, they are family oriented, what yeah. would you see the size of the, the typical size of a family? I'm curious about that. Well, the, the census, uh, the 2020 census just came out yeah. and we, we took a look at that. And again, it's a little hard to tell because some of the Amish households, um, for instance, they, they may they may have, our neighbors here is a really good example. There are two families who live in the same yard, the elderly parents, mm. and then the, and so sometimes uh, elderly parents or 
a widow or maybe a, an unmarried aunt or somebody like that will live with the family. So it's just a little bit harder to tell. But we're uh, the Amish households average about two persons per household more than the average American household. Mm. So uh, about four and a half to five children average. It's uh, a nice, nice family. It is. Yes. Interesting. Now you spoke about the language. I have a good friend of mine. He's teaching me a little bit of Dutch. I don't know. If that's a different. Uh, you say we're getting into dialects, you know, but. Uh, mm. He's taught me different phrases, such as "tanka vel membruder." I don't know is mm -hmm. that something you folks use or not. Yeah, uh, we speak a dialect of German. German, uh, okay. German, but in Germany, of course, it's called Deutsch. Deutsch and so, yes. yes. In in America, they they came to know it as Pennsylvania Dutch. Mm. And uh, I am uh, it's my first language. I had to learn English when I went to school at six years old. Mm. Um, so it, 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 and it, when I've traveled in Germany, actually in Southern Germany, in a region um, in Schwabia, mm -hmm. uh, they, they know it as Fallsteich or um, Stone Dutch. They laugh at me and say, you talk hillbilly Dutch, Deutsch. Um, so hillbilly German, but it, it's a dialect that came to sure. America. Now, there, actually, this is interesting because there have been a number of studies done on it. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they've discovered is that there are less English loner words in Pennsylvania Dutch that there, than there are in modern German. Mm -hmm. So it has uh, remained fairly pure over the years. Interesting. I, um, <clears throat> you talked about... Um... Uh, that there is a spectrum of Amish uh, or affiliations and, and so forth, but are all Amish farmers, uh, Marcus? And, and if so, what uh, what is the typical size of a farm, if you would? Uh, that actually, many fewer are farmers than would mm -hmm. wish to be. Okay, and that there were in the past, partially because it's it is difficult to make a living on a small family farm. Yes. Now, in our community here in Holmes County, and this is true of many communities of Amish across the Americas, uh, that the, the movement towards uh, produce and organic and those things have helped them find niche markets. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But most Amish, in, in this community, about 15% of Amish are farmers or agricultural related mm -hmm. workers. The, the, the others, uh, the largest percentage are small craftsmen and furniture builders. Mm. Uh, that is a huge thing in this community. Um, now you asked about the typical size of the farm. Yes. I grew up on a, a family farm or my, we lived on the family farm. My father was worked in a sawmill, but they we lived on a corner of it, and that was 88 acres. Okay. And we still all consider it the home place. Mm. Um, and one of my cousins is it farms there to this day. Uh, many of the men, some of the men may work away for a bit, uh, you know, six or eight hours, and then do some farming. But nearly every, well, all Amish have gardens mm. and, and can and, Put away uh, food for the year, like that. Mm -hmm. 
Interesting. How about uh, farm equipment? Uh, is that uh, used uh, readily? Uh, they they have developed their own horse-drawn equipment. They mm -hmm. use draft horses. There you go. Generally, there are a few people who use mules, but generally draft horses in this community. Mm -hmm. And there, there are a number of producers of farm equipment that is that that works well for the smaller farmer, horse-drawn farmer. In fact, I just found out recently one of the large producers of horse-drawn equipment in this community, the United States State Department sends people here from developing nations mm. to learn how to use, how to build and use farm machinery that works when you don't have the modern equipment. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's interesting. So it, it is a... Uh... Um, a paradigm all unto itself uh, about yes. a farm property. See, I'm, I'm a farm boy too. I, I grew up on a farm. Um, my folks were in the vineyard business and uh, mm -hmm. we had cattle. We had you know, all the, everything that comes with the farm. And uh, so it, it is a soft, uh, I do have a soft place for the farm myself. Yeah. Uh, We are having an interesting visit with the Chief Executive Officer of the Amish and Mennonite Heritage Center in Holm County in the state of Ohio. And he is answering questions that you perhaps have had in the past concerning the Amish community. Here he is again, Marcus Yoder. Um, so would you describe you the, the typical day, the typical day of a farmer, Amish farmer, uh, Marcus? Yeah, and and... I, I have a soft spot. I'm not sure I want to go back to that. I worked for my grandfather, who was an Amish farmer. Oh. And uh, we milked cows by hand and did our field work with horses. Mm. Uh, so a typical day, you, this community starts early. Uh, it is not unusual to see people in the barn at 4.30 a.m. Is that right? Mm. 4.00, 4.30. And uh, even the wood shops that we have in this area, most of them start between 5 and 6 a.m., that uh, gives you a little time at the other end of the day to do some outside work. But uh, so you milk. Uh, in, in my world, you milked. And I think at, in, at the peak in, at, with Grandpa, we milked about 25 cows by hand. Wow. Okay. Um, and then and some of, um, many of the Amish have moved to a small milker system. But you still you milk, and, and then you have breakfast together as a family. And then you move into whatever seasonal field work it needs to be done um you wait and if it's hay you wait till the dew dries put mm -hmm. the hay away if it's if it's corn uh, they pick or husk the corn but uh, it's a full rich day surrounded by family and working together yeah yeah uh, that's the main thing you know that working together there as a unit that i think that uh lends itself to uh, a, a rich family life. And uh, let me ask you this, uh, do the traditional Amish uh, community, do they use modern medicine, Marcus? Yes, they do. Um, they're, they're not, I mean, they, they, they believe that you should do everything you can to take care of each other. Absolutely. Actually, they, they use modern medicine, but the one thing they don't use is modern insurance programs mm. they've developed their own they call it a church aid plan mm. 
and uh, I was just talking to a local man who runs that program, and they have 25,000 plus people on their on church aid, and they pay all their bills every week to all the doctors and hospitals. Mm. Um, so they they will use modern medicine. They're they're hesitant about anything experimental. Mm. Uh, and, the, and the last year with COVID, the last year and a half has brought up issues that we are wrestling together with as a community. But mm. they, they want, they believe that life is sacred and that to take care of each other. And there's also been a lot of push in the last 20 years towards um, eating better and mm -hmm. taking care of our bodies. And so, uh, and. They, they, many of the doctors in this community, many of them would have some maybe Mennonite roots. And so a few have some Amish roots. But mm -hmm. there, there's also people who have no connection to the community who've moved in here and are doctors here. And the mm -hmm. Amish will use them readily. Sure. Very good. But, um, you know, uh, leading a life, uh, um, you know, growing what you can and uh, you know, it's all organic. Yeah, I mean, it uh, does... Uh, tend to be uh, healthy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, and, and they walk a lot. Oh yeah, yeah, I imagine so. Yeah, my goodness. What's um? Let me ask you this respectfully, uh, Marcus. What's behind the uh, the, pre the the precept of uh, uh, not using modern uh, technology and, and such, such as computers and transportation? It's a really good question. It's one we get asked a lot. Uh, the Amish, most of the Amish, and again, I. That when, when I say most, I'm talking about the middle, the largest middle there mm -hmm. of Amish. Well, don't have any hesitations about driving in vehicles with other people. So uh, Uber style drivers and taxi kind of drivers are a small business in this community. Um, but here is the argument, and, and I, I buy this, even as one who has stepped away from it a bit, but uh, they say, if we own cars, if we own our own cars, it will radically change our family life and our community life. Mom will go one way, dad will go the other way, and the kids will go a different way each evening. And we don't want that. And, and it's the same with, uh, let's say, telephones, uh, cell phones. Many of them use them for work-related things, but then they don't have them in their homes. They leave them on their work truck or at their place of work. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and their argument is, what happens at your house at supper? I said, well, we eat. And they said, no, what happens to your telephone? And, well, invariably, my wife or my, you know, get a text or a phone call. Sure. And they say, it never happens at our house. It's because we preserve that time. And so it, this is about... It's not about staying stuck in the dark ages mm -hmm. of technology. It is about preserving something that is bigger than that. And that's family and community life. There you go. Yeah. I, I like that very much, Marcus, because, I mean, uh, <clears throat> uh, otherwise the, the unity of the family will diminish if everybody's going separate yeah. directions, like you were saying. Yeah. And, uh, no, I, I really admire that. Uh, could you speak to the uh, traditional attire, uh, Marcus? Yeah, and, and for them, that's, it falls kind of in the same category as technology. I, I, I asked my Amish uh, friend who is an Amish bishop, mm -hmm. church leader, 
I said, why do you wear those funny pants? And he laughed. We have a really good relationship. He laughed at me and he said, who has the funny pants? Whoever thought of putting zippers in pants? And, and we giggled and laughed about it. And he said, seriously, though, this is what our people have worn for uh, 300 years. It works well. We have figured out ways to make them efficiently. And he said, interestingly enough, we don't have to worry about whether we're in style or not. Uh, he said, Sunday mornings, we all kind of look alike. And, and it, it is right when they're together in their churches. Mm -hmm. you, as an outsider, you could not pick out who is the wealthy person there or who's go. the poor person. Yeah. Yeah. And so it is about kind of an equality in community. Sure. They will yeah. never, one thing they won't do is say, well, the Bible tells us to wear these kind of pants or these kind of dresses. Mm -hmm. They admit very freely that it's cultural, but it's a good way to live in culture. Yeah. Absolutely. So it has an equalizing uh, uh, yeah. effect uh, with the community there. I, I, I can see that. You know, as, as we're talking here, I, uh, uh, family to me is very important, um, uh, Marcus. I, I, uh, 40 years ago, let me, if I may relate this to you, 40 oh. years ago, I met a, a little lady. She was uh, approaching 100 years old at the time. I was very impressed by her because uh, her mental acuity was just uh, superb, and she was just uh, just a real firecracker, you know. She was, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, I, and, and I was in my twenties, and I, well, this is an opportunity for me to learn something here. And I asked her, Gladys—that was her first name—Gladys, uh, what has uh, proven to be uh, the the factor in your longevity? I mean, you're almost a hundred years old, and. And she, she invited me to sit down, and I, and I did. And uh, so she proceeded to tell me, says, uh, Mr. Ben, she says to me, I've been around since the, the time of the horse and buggy, Mr. Ben, and I've seen the advancements of airplanes, automobiles, technology. She went on a long list of things. And she says, but you know what, Mr. Ben? None of that has improved the human condition. And yeah. that's been over 40 years ago. So obviously it has left an impression on me. And what's more important in life, it's a sense of belonging. Uh, and, and that's what she had. She had her close family knit uh, and uh, she kept busy. She was very active. She gave value and received the value from everyone. So I can see that. And that's why I'm, uh, we're having this discussion because I, I think uh, the mainstream society has paid is paying, uh, I mean, dearly, a hefty price for not, yeah. uh, you know, looking at things a little more simpler, uh, how they can mitigate uh, uh, problems and stressors and so forth. Do um, do the Amish pay taxes and, and do they um, pay into the Social Security system, Marcus? Uh, they, they do pay taxes. Uh, mm. Most Amish, uh, I mean, Amish pay, they just do pay taxes. Uh, now, some of them, are, or many of them, are exempt from Social Security. Mm. Their exemption, though, is not about paying in. They would rather not receive. Mm. They would rather not receive Social Security. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's about, it, it's, you know, we, we think about it in, in, in light of paying in, but it is mm. about about receiving they, uh, for this is a, maybe this exemplifies many of them 
return their stimulus money to the government. Is that right? Because they, they, they felt like it would have been... Um, yeah, more like charity, I would think, right? Well, yeah, or, or, or improper of them to keep that if they're Social yeah. Security exempt. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah, I, I can see that. This is money I'm getting here that I have not earned. Mm -hmm. You know, is that sort of yes. thing? And, and I think that uh, tightens up the, the community, too, to depend on one another. It does. Right? It does. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I like that very much, Marcus. Uh, would you uh, describe their educational system? Yeah. Um, so so that is one area. I'm an educator. I, I actually, let me just tell you a bit of my, I grew up in this community, mm -hmm. Amish and then Mennonite when I was a teenager. Um, and I had uh, most of the Amish in our world end their education at eighth grade. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a, a Supreme Court case in the early 1970s, Wisconsin versus Yoder, that gave them the freedom to do that with the understanding that they would then teach their children trades and how to be a good citizen. Sure. And, and they do that. So, Later in life, with my eighth grade education, later in life, I ended up uh, doing my GED. And in my 30s, I went to The Ohio State University. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I have a master's degree from Yale University as well. Mm. And then I, I returned to our world here. Yeah. And the Amish are not against education. They, mo most Amish schools and most Amish kids go, go through the eighth grade. But then they're expected to keep learning. And this is still a strong reading culture. And because they don't have access to media as much, uh, they tend to, to read more and, and keep learning. But most Amish kids, when they get out of school, uh, shortly after eighth grade, they'll start working with their father or some other person or their mother, their parent, or some other person and learn a skill or a trade. And uh, I tell people, I, I know people within this community who are smarter than the PhDs that I met at Yale. Mm. It's because they've invested so much of their energy and life into learning what they're doing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The professionals and what, uh, and what they've yes. uh, done for so many years. I, I can we, we lead that. the world. Uh, and, and this is not uh, facetious or anything. Sure. Uh, we, we, we lead the world in developing machinery for horse-drawn farming where it's not as optimal farming conditions. And we also lead the world at furniture production off-grid um, and, and all these other things. But, and, and again, I have, I, have, I have a large library of my own and a, a few of my Amish friends have much larger libraries than I do and they read prolifically a wide variety they want to keep learning well the reading is uh, you know it is fundal, fundamentally the or the basis of all learning so you can learn anything yes. you know how to read you know so i, yes. I can appreciate that um you went to yale so that's that's higher learning that's my goodness that's one of the oldest institutions in the in the country uh yeah. i think it goes back to the 1700s I believe. but i congratulate you yeah thank you and um, so what would you say that the takeaway principles uh, uh, to kind of nail it down and, and mm -hmm. emphasize that the, the, the mainstream can, can benefit from? Sure. I think that 
the biggest thing that I'd like to encourage us to think about mm-hmm. as we, as you look at these people who have the media has trivi- trivialized much of the Amish world. So I appreciate this opportunity. Um, many of the TV shows are staged, uh, you know, like Breaking Amish and Amish Mafia. Those things are not true. So when, but wh- why are these people the way they are? And and I think that they actually have embraced three things that they've used to make decisions. And the first of all is their historic faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are uh, focused on following Christ in the in the Christian way, and and they put a lot of emphasis on obedience to to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And and their faith is is nearly 500 years old. And much of it is passed along orally, and uh, so so their their commitment to a faith that works. That's number one. The second one is their commitment to family and familial connections. Mm-hmm. I I have degrees from two eminent institutions hanging on my wall, and my Amish friends walk in and say, "Now, who was your grandpa?" And I'll say, "Well, I'm Ma- I'm Monroe's, Milo's, Leroy's, Mark." And they say, oh, yeah, you're my first cousin once removed on my mother's side. <laughs> and I kind of grin to myself and think, so is the other half of Holmes County. But yeah. those things mean a lot in this community. And it is, it is a beautiful thing to live in a world where family is still valued. Absolutely. I agree with you wholeheartedly, Marcus. And, and I think uh, my personal takeaway, uh, which uh, it's a principle that they, they – people or the mainstream society can learn from is uh, not to put too much emphasis on the extrinsic things, such as material things, things that at the end of the day really don't have any relevance, you know, to life and your health and your well-being, you know, but to, but to look at things extrinsically, the heart and to be able to improve on that and improve your relationship with family and friends. I think that's where it's at. And uh, so how can my audience reach out to your organization to schedule a visit, Marcus? Sure. Thank you. Uh, They can reach out via the internet at at www.behalt, that's B-E-H-A-L-T.com. Or our phone number is 330-893-3192. That's 330-893-3192. Eight nine three three one nine two. Very good. It was a pleasure and uh, it was a lovely visit, Marcus. And I, I encourage you to continue to to help. And I, I can see how, how you're you're valued there. And um, oh, I, I really great uh, place to live. Yeah, absolutely, I can, I can see that. So you keep up the good work, and I, I wish you thank the very you. best, Marcus. Thank you, and thank you your, to you and your audience for the opportunity to talk about this. Appreciate it very much, Benjamin. It was my pleasure. Have a great day. For you listeners, if you have a suggestion or a recommendation of a subject matter you want to discuss, please let me know at yourlotandparcel.com. And now, if you would excuse me... This program has been produced by Isaac Diaz with music by Echo Foxtone. All the opinions expressed in this podcast are opinions only and should not be relied on. For more information, please visit the website yourlotandparcel.com.